how to pick the best ETFs for 2021. Exchange-traded funds or ETFs are becoming more popular among people who want to break away from traditional mutual funds but aren't quite ready for handpicking individual stocks for their portfolio. We have Kyle Whitley, Senior Investing Editor at Kiplinger.com and an ETF enthusiast, back on the show to walk us through his thoughts on ETF investing, how exactly they are different than mutual funds, who should invest in ETFs, his process of selecting the best ETFs, and of course, his top ETF picks for 2021. With an ETF, because it trades on an exchange, you have that intraday movement. And so in theory, you know, you might be able to get, say, a little bit of a better price in the middle of the day. And it also allows them to be more tradable, like actual day traders can go out and day trade the funds themselves. If you're investing in a mutual fund, you're very smart. Don't worry about it. Like you're not, you're not a dumb dumb. There are reasons to invest in mutual funds. Mm -hmm. You'd be amazed to find out how many different things there are to invest in via ETFs. It's not just stocks and bonds, it's a ton of different asset classes. So all other things being equal, why wouldn't you buy the cheapest one? That's more money in your pocket. And especially if you're going out 30, 40 years, that really actually starts to add up. My name is Kiana Danielle. I'm a best-selling author and the founder of the Invest Diva movement, where we're on a mission to helping one million moms take control of their financial future and to create generational wealth. So please hit that like button to help us with our YouTube algorithm and share this with people who could benefit from taking control of their financial future so that together we can make this huge impact. Now, Let's go and say hi to Kyle Woodley. Welcome, Kyle. We are so excited that you accepted to be back on the Investiva movement. And today we are going to talk about ETFs, how they're different than mutual funds and your best picks for 2021 because that is your bread and butter. You know all about ETFs and we cannot wait to hear your insights. Welcome, Kyle. It's great to be here. How are you doing today? Doing amazing. So, Kyle, there are a lot of our viewers that actually keep commenting and asking, why should I go with individual stocks where I can you know, use something else like an index fund or a mutual fund or an ETF. So let's for once and for all kind of do the differentiation. What is the difference between why, why would somebody go after an individual stock and why would somebody else go after an ETF and what are they exactly? Sure. So as for the reason why, horsepower. That's about the best way I can think about it is horsepower. If you invest in a single stock, that stock is likely to have, say, more upside and more downside potential than any sort of fund, whether it's a mutual fund, an ETF, or a closed-end fund. And that's because you are saddled to whatever that single stock does versus a, you know any sort of fund if it has 30 50, 100, 1,000 different stocks, all of those are sort of working against one another. That's not to say that like, you know, for instance, Coca-Cola probably isn't going to move as much as say like a clean energy ETF. I mean, it does depend on what it is you invest in, but for the most part, an ETF, a mutual fund, a closed end fund, these are all going to be less concentrated plays than just investing in a single stock. That works for, you know, 
the better in that diversification is good. It can you know keep you from like one big single stock just destroying your portfolio. The flip side is though, if you're trying to generate alpha, if you're trying to you know basically outperform, it is admittedly a lot easier to do that with a single stock that just suddenly you know goes to the moon than it is you know an ETF or a mutual fund. Yeah, that is, I, I love, I've never heard somebody saying horsepower. That is a great metaphor for that. It's actually absolutely true. And if you know what you're doing, if you're really, really, really good at selecting stocks or, you know, you have an eye for it, or if you know the company well, then maybe individual sucks. That's how I've been really telling my students. But there are some sectors that I don't know much about. So for example, I know a lot about the tech industry, so I can go and, with the help of my husband, pick some good tech stocks, but I don't know anything about like healthcare or marijuana or all these different industries. So sometimes I do consider an ETF, but um, I want to know about your method of selecting an ETF. Like, uh, first of all, why would you go with an ETF and not a mutual fund? Let's get this out of the way. Sure. So we'll start with the very basic thing here, which is what a fund in general does, which is it just collects a pool of some sort of asset and allows you to invest in that very easily, of course, for a fee, but still easily. So whether it's a mutual fund ETF or closed end fund, you can invest in a basket of stocks or say bonds. In the case of ETFs, there's a lot of other things that you can invest in, commodities, futures on certain things, bank loans. But all of them have that in common. That's sort of your base ground. That's the first thing to know. Now, as far as ETFs versus mutual funds, the first big thing is that an ETF actually trades on an exchange, hence the name exchange traded fund. That's not really terribly important for your typical buy and holder because the main reason that matters is mutual fund just settles once. Like end of the day, that's it. So if it's you know $20 during the day, that's all it's going to be throughout the whole day. And then all the trades into it are settled all at once. And then it becomes 2020 the next day or 2030, whatever. And that's it. With an ETF, because it trades on an exchange, you have that intraday movement. And so in theory, you know, you might be able to get, say, a little bit of a better price in the middle of the day. And it also allows them to be more tradable, like actual day traders can go out and day trade the funds themselves. So that's a big difference between the two. But for people that are just going to buy a fund and hold it forever, not actually all that big of a difference. Expenses. Expenses are the thing that probably are going to matter most to people like you and me. So first of all, the reason why ETFs tend to cost less in the first place is actually part, it's more a corollary thing, like it's a correlation thing, I should say, which is most ETFs, not all, but most ETFs tend to be index funds. In other words, they have a set of rules and it follows the set of rules and that's all it is. Whereas most mutual funds, typically are actively managed. In other words, you have a boardroom of people, you have you know one manager, five managers, 10 managers, and they're all making stock selections. Those 10 managers have to go home, they have to eat, they have to put a roof over their heads, and because of all that, naturally, it costs a lot more to be able to run that product than if you just have, it's not just a computer, there is actually a person running the computer or whatever, but still, it's a lot more expensive than running an index fund. And so just because of that, ETF, expenses tend to be a lot less than mutual fund expenses. But there are other things. A lot of ETF index funds, for instance, they'll actually be a little bit cheaper, just a couple of basis points, but nonetheless, they will still be cheaper than their mutual fund versions. There's also tax efficiency. 
One funny thing about, and I, I'm not going to get into the really boring plumbing here, but ETFs, they have this uh, basically a creation method, sort of how units come into and out of existence. And because of how that happens, there's a lot less of capital gains that sort of occur throughout that. So like a mutual fund, when they make all their various trades, some of their gains at the end of the year like will actually be capital gains and they'll, you know, they'll actually distribute those capital gains. And that's a higher, like that's a higher tax burden. ETFs have negligible capital gains returns. And so you would actually kind of went out on, on a tax standpoint too. So there's also that. There's transparency. With a mutual fund, they're only required to release their holdings every quarter. That's it. That's all they have to do if they, you know, it, like at the very least. When you're selecting an ETF, you can go and say, oh, this is a value ETF. And thus it invests in value. But five different value ETFs might have completely different holdings. If you have an ETF, because it's an ETF and because they have to report all the different holdings, you can go into each one's provider site page and see like, okay, this one's a value one, but it holds mostly financials. This one's a, a, a value, but it holds you know a nice diversified portfolio of a bunch of sectors. So that transparency is really helpful when you're evaluating an ETF. So those are what I would say are the real major differences between the two. Very um, helpful. Kyle, hmm. I have a question here because to me, it feels like really nobody should be investing in mutual funds. Am I right here? And I mean, what does this mean for the future of mutual funds? Like who are the people who are actually investing in mutual funds? Are they people who are just not informed? Are they people who are just really, really wealthy into individuals who don't care about paying a little bit more? Or like, who are the people who are actually investing in mutual funds still? I hate that question because it's so good because it, it like it just it there are so many different like angles that there are to take there. So if you're investing in a mutual fund, you're very smart. Don't worry about it. Like you're not you're not a dumb dumb. There are reasons to invest in mutual funds. Mutual funds again, they're actively managed. Some of them are very well managed. Some of them manage to destroy their benchmarks. If you find good management in a mutual fund, it's worth the extra cost. It should, you know, it can be worth the extra cost. Sometimes it is and sometimes it is though. If they are really good and they outperform by that much, you will be better off. Also, you tend to find that outperformance more in areas that are more specialized. Like for instance, large cap, that's really difficult. Like, I mean, beating, a, beating the index for, you know, a large cap manager, that's really difficult. In fact, they haven't done it in a, in more than a decade on average. They haven't been able to beat the S&P 500 on average. But once you start to get into say like micro caps or like emerging market stocks where their research can actually make like real differences in being able to spot like really good value stories or really good growth stories that an index just can't capture as much because the index will just say, hey, we're going by market caps, the largest stock wins, where these guys are actually like in the field, they're in Taiwan or they're in China or they're in India or whatever. And they actually see these companies that are like, no, no, you don't understand. I know this is not a big company, but this one needs to be a very large part of our portfolio. And so for those reasons, it does make sense to have a mutual fund. If you have a 401k, you should have a mutual fund because if, if you don't, then guess what? You probably don't, you're not investing in anything because there are no ETFs in, I shouldn't say no, very, very few 401k plans allow you to have ETFs. Most, most of them are mutual funds and that's your only option. That might change someday, but for right now, that's not necessarily the case. That was um, a very good point. So we were actually looking into our one of our accelerators 401k yesterday and she was considering selling her mutual fund and actually buying either individual stocks or ETFs. Does that depend on the employer, 
on how you can actually handle it or? In truth, I'm not sure. Anything that I've ever read about this subject, it always hedges. It's like, oh yeah, like very few allow for ETFs to be in there, but I've never seen a 401k plan. I've never heard of a 401k plan, like from people that I know that actually allows you to invest in ETFs. So like, so this person, was she in charge of her 401k, like <laughs> yes. a, a worker? <laughs> she, she's actually live here with us in the accelerator program. Oh, okay. She sold it yesterday. We were talking about how mutual funds are, you know, all the things that you said. And we said, well, maybe you can invest in individual stocks and manage it yourself because now you are better off. And I, I wish I could bring Natalie on. Natalie, she's commenting. And everybody, by the way, Kyle here is saying this is very easy to understand. Thank you so much for all the information. Oh, that's good. <laughs> so she's not employed anymore. So maybe that's the reason why. Oh, as in she, she has no like, it's longer. not a work provided in in truth, that's not my expert or my area of expertise. Like I don't, that's that's sort of a more like a Kiplinger, we right. would say that's actually like a retirement channel type thing. Yes. Um, where they would know the difference between like say what you can hold in a 401k and a SEP IRA and da 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 da. So unfortunately, I can't answer that. But typically right. say work sponsored it. 401ks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this is to. interesting because I know that our viewer and uh, our viewers and YouTube might find this interesting as well. She said that she she just bought three stocks, sold the mutual fund and bought three stocks <sighs> because she was able to manage it. And Jackie's saying, I manage one of my IRA. IRA, yeah, we definitely can uh, buy individual stocks. All right, great. So I hope this was helpful <laughs> for everybody who's viewing as well. Kyle, let's now move on. We got mutual funds, ETFs, and individual stocks. Individual stocks, if you really know them well, you can go that way. But then the middle ground is going to be ETFs. So let's get into how to actually select an ETF. What is your process of selecting the best ETF? Because as you said, there are ETFs, like even in the growth sector, even in financial sector, there are ETFs that hold so many different stocks that it can be actually kind of overwhelming, as overwhelming maybe as selecting an individual stock. So what is your process of selecting an ETF? I guess the first thing is I let myself get really anxious because there's several thousand ETFs out there. So I sit in my seat and I panic for a little bit and sweat. And then finally I let myself calm <laughs> <number> down. One. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously I have to say you should go to kiplinger.com slash investing slash ETFs. That's the first place you should go, of course. But if you're, if you're trying to see just what's out there, I mean, if you're starting from absolute scratch, the best thing to do is to go and find an ETF screener. That's not to say that it'll tell you what the best ETFs will be, but it'll give you the universe of ETFs that exist for what it is you're looking for. That's amazing. Um, We're going to, I'm going to stop here. We are going to add the link to kiplinger.com in the description area of this video. Thank you so much, Kyle, great. for providing that information. Great. So, uh, you know, there are obviously uh, like, I'm lucky enough that I, you know, I get access to some pretty like high horsepower to screeners, but there are actually several really good free screeners out there. ETFDB as an ETF database, ETFDB.com. They have a really powerful ETF screener. So you can go in there and you can select say equity. And then from there, it's like, oh, well, large cap, mid cap, small cap, you know, do you want developed markets, emerging markets that allow you to go by country? Do you want commodities? Do you want preferred stocks? So on and so forth. And so on, that'll give you an idea of just what's out there. You'd be, you'd be amazed to find out how many different things there are to invest in the ETFs. It's not just stocks and bonds. It's a ton of different asset classes. From there, you can start to get really basic ideas such as here's how big the fund is, or here's what the expenses are, what the dividend yield is, things like that. 
So that's a good place to start is just seeing what's out there. After that, you then start to think, okay, well, what is it that I want in my portfolio? And you start to target that particular area. So you mentioned that you know, you like to invest in tech stocks because you know that area, but like say healthcare, you might not know as much. That's great. I mean, I hate to say this, but that's exactly what ETFs are for. If you don't have the time, inclination, or ability to get into the individual stocks, that doesn't mean you shouldn't be allowed to invest in them. And it doesn't mean it's necessarily a bad idea. That's a great thing about ETF. Like I personally, like I think marijuana smells like it's just not for me. If I'm going to like, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to, I'm going to have like a glass of wine, a beer, <laughs> Irish whiskey, what have you. But I do know that a lot of people want marijuana. I do know that we're legalizing it like crazy from state to state. I know that federally, eventually one day it's coming. I know that marijuana is probably going to be a decent investment. And so like I start looking into, okay, what are the different marijuana ETFs? So here's what you do once you've say locked in on that area, even if you don't know a lot about it, you find what ETFs exist in that area. And then you go to their provider pages. Now I know that sounds really weird because you're like, well, they're selling their own book. You know what I mean? Like they're touting their own stuff, but they are required. They are required to provide certain information across the board. Every single provider has to provide these things. And so even though obviously they want you to buy their ETF, you will still get very good, solid data that you can use to make your decision. So one of the best things to do is just to look at the actual objective of it. You know, a really good to use marijuana ETFs as an example. If you take a look at MJ, for instance, that's like the, the popular one that everybody knows. MJ actually has a wider geographical reach, okay? MSOS, however, which is actually one of my 21 ETFs for 2021, that one is a US-based one. In other words, the cannabis companies in there are US-based. And that's important because are you investing simply because you've looked at the US and you're seeing the trend in the States and you're like, okay, well, I want to invest in this US boom of marijuana, or do you want to do it, say, globally? Or in the case of a lot of these ETFs, Canada focused, which is, I mean, that's just where a lot of these happen to be. So just the objective alone can help. Expenses are a big one. I mean, really, expenses are probably, when you're selecting an ETF, it's one of the most important things. It's not necessarily the most, depending on your objective, but expenses are. And that's because all other things equal, lower expenses put more money in your pocket. And I'll give you two great examples, okay? So let's just say you want to build a core, which is what I would suggest to anybody if I if they were starting up and just, you know, like just beginning investing, you want to build a core and a great place to start your core. This isn't my idea. This is Warren Buffett's idea. And he's a lot smarter than me is go out and buy an S&P 500 ETF. All right. So everybody knows the spy, right? Like that's SBDRs. It's the, you know, it's the grand old lady of ETFs. It's the first one. And the spy has an expense ratio of 0.0945%. Okay. So that's not bad. That's a pretty low expense ratio. It's also technically, if you're using ties, the fourth most expensive S&P 500 ETF. So you have Vanguard's VOO, VU, iShares IVV, and even SPDR, which issues the SPY, they have another fund. It's a newer one that they basically made for buy and hold investors called SPLG, which is just, it's another S&P 500 ETF. All of those are just three basis points as opposed to 9.45 basis points. They're all cheaper. So all other things being equal, which in this case, it is equal, they're just tracking the S&P 500. Why wouldn't you buy the cheapest one? That's more money in your pocket. And especially if you're going out 30, 40 years, that really actually starts to add up. The I have a question really... here for you. Oh, this is sorry. an amazing, amazing 
point, by the way. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Expense ratio is something that a lot of people actually don't look at when it comes to <laughs> ETF. And the S&P 500 one is an amazing example. So how are they actually able to deduct the expenses? Do you know? Because like they have to make money somewhere. Like I know even with brokers, like there's always kind of a catch. If something is cheaper, is there a catch with a cheaper, lower expense ratio ETF? I'm sorry. I don't want to say no, because I just want to make sure that like maybe there's some ETF out there that's doing something scammy. But for the most part, there's no scam. So this actually brings us sort of back around full circle to the, you know, sort of the differences between ETFs and mutual funds. The expenses aren't just the frontline expenses. That's another big difference. Like if you were wanting to go from a mutual fund to ETFs, or here's a good reason why. So mutual funds and ETFs, they both have your annual expense. Okay. Now those are just, they're literally taken out of performance. You never see it. Like it's just whatever the performances you see, they've already taken their cut from it. And that's all that is. Whether it's nine basis points or like a full percentage point, that's just automatically taken out. But mutual funds also have different sorts of like sales charges and other things that they can apply. I mean, in the case of like a straight up, like, like what's called a load fee, like a front end load where they, they charge you up front. So with a mutual fund, let's say you buy $10,000 worth of a mutual fund, right? And they charge a 5%, you know, like sales load. That means that right up front, instead of investing $10,000, you're investing $9,500. They're taking that right up front. That never compounds. That's $500 you never see again. ETFs, one, don't do that. There is no sales charge whatsoever, but also there's no minimum. So, or they're like, they don't have a minimum investment. With a mutual fund, it might be as low as say like 500, 1,000, some are higher, it's like 2,500, whatever, but they always require that you invest some amount. With any ETF, if you can afford one share or, you know, thanks to, thanks to some brokerages, now just a fraction of a share, like, I mean, you can get into these for just a few bucks. And I, you know, I have a couple of friends who just started investing and, you know, they'll buy like, say, $50 worth of the VU, which is a multi-hundred dollar ETF. So again, those are two really big differences there where, you know, for mutual funds to ETFs, if you have a really high priced or high expense mutual fund with a sales charge, and then you're, you know, you're upgrading to a really cheap ETF that does basically the same thing and performs every bit as well. That's more money in your pocket. Yeah, the expense thing is a really, really big deal. I, Thank I you so that much for that. And yeah, that was perfect. And I have one other follow-up question before we get into your picks for ETFs. Are ETFs taxed the same way as stocks, as individual stocks? Yes, I believe so. I apologize because taxes aren't really within my nexus, but I'm I'm like 99% sure that it's the exact same thing. I mean, it's, it's just, just capital, capital gains, it's right? long-term capital gains, short-term capital gains. ETFs do distribute dividends just like stocks do because they're a collection of stocks, you know, whatever dividends they distribute, they just pass right through to the investor. And so there are plenty of ETFs that people buy, not for the capital gains, not for the growth over time, but for the dividends. And I believe all of that is taxed exactly the same way. Amazing. So let's get to your picks of ETFs for 2021, shall we? Sure. So every year at the beginning of the year, I write, you know, the TK best ETFs for whatever year it is. So if it's 2019, it's 19 picks. And for 2021, it's 21. And if I should live to 2070, I'm going to be very tired. So, oh my gosh, um, <laughs> that's going to be exhausting. Why? At that point, maybe I'll just do seven best ETFs for 2070. But so how I view ETFs is this. 
if at the beginning of the year, because this is like a one year thing, I am trying to look at some of the trends that are going to happen throughout the year. Like this is something of a, you know, picks piece, but not every pick in there is just like, oh, I think this is only going to do necessarily really well in 2021, nor do I necessarily think that each pick is going to do well throughout the entirety of 2021. ETFs are, they're a tool in the toolbox. Every investor should have a toolbox. Stocks are stocks are a tool, ETFs are a tool, mutual funds are a tool, so on and so forth. Money is a tool. And money is a tool. Money's the <laughs> ultimate tool. It can buy you a lot of other tools. Yeah. And so each of these, they provide an objective. So like the first one, I mean, every single year that I do this list of ETFs, the number one is VU. It's the SA, it's Vanguard's S&P 500 ETF. And the reason is that everybody should start with a core and that's a really great core. It beats active managers left and right every single year. Like, and those are paid professionals. Like I'm supposed to do better than the index if they can. And so that's, you know, that's a tool for the toolbox. Will it necessarily outperform everything else in 2021? Not necessarily, but chances are if stocks do well, well, the VU will probably do pretty well. If we want to get into some of the, you know, some of the more strategic ones, which I'm sure we do, value, of course, is a really big part of this. Uh, you know, is it's one of the biggest trends that everybody was pointing to in 2021. It's the beginning of sort of a new economic up cycle. And, and so everybody pretty much expected value to outperform in 2021. And sure enough, right now it is. It's absolutely killing it. And a lot of analysts expect that to be the case, at least through the first half of the year, if not farther out. So I picked two value ETFs within this pick set. So one is a really straightforward, cheap one. It's called the Vanguard Value ETF, and that is ticker VTV. So this is just a straightforward set of stocks that are selected based on things like price to earnings, price to sales, price to books. You're just your typical type of like value metrics that people tend to care about. And it's just a broad, really inexpensive ETF. Okay. But what is value? I mean, I don't mean to sound philosophical there, mostly because I'm not. You are sounding but... very philosophical. It's <laughs> such a de- What is value, Kyle? Please. <laughs> what is value, but what we perceive it to be? Price to earnings is one way. I mean, over the past few weekends, I've been doing Zoom sessions with some of my friends who suddenly got into investing over the past few months. You can only imagine why. And what happened is that, you know, most of them, they got really excited by GameStop or AMC. And then all of a sudden, they're just, you know, as soon as that collapsed, they're like, oh, so this doesn't always happen forever. Now I have to learn how to do this for real. And so I started teaching about things like P, you know, PE, PS, PEG, which is my personal favorite. But the point is, is that different valuations matter for different companies, you know, for various reasons. Like nobody cares what a tech stock's price to book is, for instance. One value proposition that I just love the moment that I heard it, I believe it was in late 2017 that this came out. It was either late 2017 or late 2018. And it has been in my best ETFs list every single year that I've done it with Kiplinger. And that is the Distillate US Fundamental Stability and Value ETF, ticker DSTL. It's not very big. You probably have not heard of it. But the reason why I like them is because their metric of value, like what it is that they measure, is cash. They care about free cash flow. That is how they determine value. It's that, uh, you know, enterprise value. And the reason why they do that is this. If you ever look at like an earnings report online, you'll see like gap EPS, and then you'll see non-gap EPS or adjusted EPS. The point is, is that they're taking whatever those earnings are and they have different ways of defining those. You're actually starting to see adjusted revenues, which like, let's all have a laugh here. That's pretty nonsense. But the point is, is that there are all these different ways of calculating, you know, these different like basic accounting metrics 
and they kind of fudge what you're looking at. You can't lie with cash. Like cash is cash. You know what I mean? Like that's it. It's just cash. You can't do anything with it. You can't have adjusted cash. And so that's what distillate takes a look at. They take a look at, you know, cash and enterprise value. And this thing has beaten the pants off of value since its inception because it finds better values. I don't know how else to put it. Like it's a better way of actually finding values that might not be your traditional ways. And so even when value was underperforming over the past few years, it was not only trouncing them, but also the S&P 500. It's just a good value fund. Whether or not it continues to outperform funds like the VTV or whatever, sometimes it won't. I mean, I, I don't know how else to put it. Like sometimes it might not, just depending on you know the the different holdings that make its way into VTV. But I actually fundamentally believe that DSTL's way of looking at value is a better way of doing it. Right. So. Based on what I understand, you're actually kind of diversifying within your ETF diversification. So the first one is like the broad market. The second one, the holdings in BTV are, you know, J.P. Morgan, Berkshire Hathaway, Johnson Johnson, like all the big names, Disney, United Health. And then the third one, you're going something, a completely different metric so that you kind of have the diversification in your portfolio in place. Is that how you're actually looking at it? So you can go with that, though what I typically suggest, and I always put this in the story itself is, I'm gonna recommend 21 ETFs. I am not recommending that you, the reader, go out and buy 21 ETFs. That's not the point of this. In some cases, I try to like with you know the broad market thing, not only did I have the VU, but I also have an ESG. It's basically like a large cap ESG fund. And that's for, listen, if you want a core, but you actually care about ESG, that gives you that sort of option. And this is the case with value. You could use both of them because their portfolios actually are quite different. But you know, if you decide you only want one value thing, well, this gives you two different ways to approach that. As we sort of go down the list, I don't know that we'll have time to cover them all, but as you, you know, like if you go to the story, every single ETF, they sort of have a purpose. Some of them are very situational. Like as a good, for instance, I love this fund. This is like, I, you know, I have to beg Kevlinger. I'm like, I, I know that we don't like, you know, inverse and leverage funds, but please, please, please. It's ProShares short S&P 500 ETF. It's a short fund. It's actually a hedge against the market. The ticker is SH. And what it gives you is the inverse return of the S&P 500. It sounds exotic. I'm like, but what? It's... Short? No. My like, alarm <laughs> system is going on over here. <laughs> like I said, I had to beg. But... It's actually a very responsible hedge. And again, this is not like if you're a buy and holder, don't ever touch this fund. I mean it like it's not for you. That's not what it's there for. I try to make this a list for all people. If you actually want to go after hyper growth, there's a few of those in here. This is for somebody who actually believes they can time the market. I am an arrogant, horrible person. And sometimes I like to think that I know better than everybody. And so I occasionally play around with the SH. In truth, when February of last year was starting to happen, like I was already reading about what was happening in China and like I figured it was a matter of time before I came here. Like I was already going to Costco and just getting a few things. I wasn't going overboard, but I'm just like, you know, maybe we should have a couple of masks and some cleaners and stuff like that. And I also did the same thing with my portfolio. I put up SH as a hedge and here's why you would use something like that. One of the things that people tend to do whenever the market is diving is they sell out of everything. They get really panicked. They want to hold, you know, they, they don't want to start accumulating all of those losses. And so they get out of everything. But the problem is, is let's say you've been into those stocks for years and years. You're sitting on a really great cost basis. You're sitting on probably a great yield on cost. 
Because again, your yield isn't whatever you know Google says it is that day. It's the yield from the day that you bought that. And so, I mean, there might be stocks that you've had for a long time that have like a yield of seven, eight percent, whatever. If you sell out and then buy back in when it's higher later, suddenly you've got a miserable yield on that stock. It's pointless. And so, something that you can do to keep your portfolio from going down as badly while all of your other stocks are doing really badly is put up a very simple hedge against it. And that's what SH does. As long as the market is going down, specifically the S&P 500, this will go up. And so I put in a very small hedge just so that the downside wasn't as bad. And that actually helped. I mean, that was a huge part of my outperformance in my own personal IRA last year. I'm that glad I'm that you brought here. up oh, the sorry. fact that uh, this is very personal because, yes, there are different types of personalities when it comes to investing. And I totally hear you and I understand where you're coming from. It could be considered as a hedge. I just do also want to point out for our investive movement kind of personality types that we normally going to do the opposite. So we when the markets drop, we buy and we celebrate and we get super happy. So, but there are people who cannot help, but, you know, want to take advantage of the downside and there are short sellers. So I'm glad that you brought this up because there are definitely different personalities. Like that's why we say that investing is personal and you need to select the asset that really best suits your invest your risk tolerance, your financial goals, and your personality. And we talk when we talk about risk tolerance, there are two components. It's your willingness to take a risk, which is your personality, and then your is your ability to take a risk, which is your actual financial situation. So I believe all the ETF picks that you gave, they were amazing because it really kind of taught, and I, I cannot wait to go and actually read your actual article and see the rest <laughs> of the list, because it looks like you really have something for everybody, for every personality trade and for every kind of portfolio. And I would also add to this, yeah, for example, I manage my daughter's portfolio, my husband's portfolio, my dad's portfolio. So I have some of the ETFs that you mentioned, I have the VOO for my daughter because I'm like, okay, I want her to be like broad. And then for my husband, we have, we're more tech oriented for my dad, we're more like, you know, dividend paying oriented. So it's very, very personal, even if you're managing, not only if you're managing your own, but your uh, family members' portfolios, you need to just be knowledgeable and pick accordingly. I hope you guys, this was helpful for you. Kyle has been amazing just dropping nuggets of gold over here, really <laughs> going even to places that he would get yelled at by Kiplinger, but he knows there. So we really appreciate that. Thank you so much, Kyle, for joining us again on the Investiva movement. Is there anything, any parting words you would like to share with our audience? No, I mean, I, I think just to restress what I mentioned earlier, which is and exactly what you just said, which is this is a very personal thing. If somebody comes out and says, oh, yeah, these are all going to be sort of the best stocks of the year, the best ETFs of the year, the best mutual funds of the year, they might be. They might not be for you. A stock might go up, say, 100% in a year. But if you if you don't have sort of the metal that it takes to be able to withstand a 20% drawdown before it goes up that 100%, well, then you're going to sell out before it ever goes up that 100%. You're going to be out the 20%. And so it's really important that any, you know, any picks that you see out there, you go and research yourself also. I mean, it really is important to do the research yourself too. Don't just necessarily take anyone's words for it. Even me, I'm the most trustworthy person in the world and you should love me forever. But 
also don't trust me completely. Go out and make sure that it does what it says it does. I make mistakes, everybody does, and also make sure that it is right for you so that, you know, so that you can sleep at night. I mean, honestly, so you can sleep at night and know that you're taking care of your family. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Kyle. Again, we're going to do a Q&A with our accelerators after this, but you guys watching on YouTube, please go and give this video a like, <laughs> subscribe for more of the Investiva movement. We're committed to create value for you every single week. So share away and we'll see you in the next episode of the Investiva Movement. All right, before I let you go, uh, after each episode, we're going to do this. We ask our <laughs> guests uh, to uh, make a silly face. I oh, you me? That was, I, yes, yes, you. Okay, that was fast. Thank you for that. Da, da, da.